to Midlife Moxie. We are a community and podcast all about midlife women making this one of the best seasons of their lives. Well, I'm one of your hosts, Gail. And I'm Christina. We're going to be sharing our stories, struggles, and joys while bringing you experts on topics that you care about. And we're going to do it while having a whole lot of fun. So buckle up, girls. Let's get our Moxie on. Well, hey, Christina, how's it going in California today? Oh, it's kind of gloomy, but you know what? It's all good. We're you know, here, it was gloomy we're ready when to the rock. last time we recorded. What's going on? Because South Carolina is bringing it. Mm, well, we have this like little rain stuff coming our way. So whatevs, it's rain fine. It'll bring California. some gorgeous... Yeah, it'll be some, bring some gorgeous roses, so I'm excited about that. Well, it's another Monday, which is recording day, and we get so excited. Like, every week, I know we come to you guys and say, we're so excited, we're so excited, we're so excited. But we really are. Like, Sunday night, I get really, like, hopped up, don't you? Yes, yes. Well, you know, we, we get our questions together, and we're thinking about Not all the things that we want to Not that we're going to pay attention to them, but... <laughs> So true. But you know, it, it's kind of fun because then we brainstorm and we're like, oh, but we want to ask this. And then, no, but we have to ask this. So it, it just and really maybe we is should a lot ask of fun. That, that comes yeah. up a lot, right? Well, yeah, that, that does come up a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, today we're talking to a lady that we met through Clubhouse, which is where we meet so many interesting people. Not everybody, but a lot of interesting people that we've had on the show. And she's an author, speaker, and coach. But she specializes in turning points. And I thought that was really interesting. These intersections in people's lives, places they might think about making a change. Oh, gosh, I said the word change. Well, isn't that what we do in midlife, girl? So does that I think strike terror in your heart or excitement? <laughs> like it I excites me. But I know people, the minute you mention change, they start shaking. I'm a, I'm a variety girl, but change, it, it, it does make me a little nervous. However, I'm excited after it happens. Interesting. Yeah. Well, let's see what our yeah. girl has to say about it. So we want to welcome the expert, our new friend, Sylvia Warshin. Sylvia, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I know it's Monday and I actually love Mondays. Start of a new week, many opportunities to come. So I'm excited for this interview. But, you know, you're starting the week with us. So where do, where can you go mm. from here? I know. Only up, girl. Only, only up. up. I was thinking There's only, only down. one way but to go up. No. Oh, my gosh. She's starting the, the week with we us, Christina. I you mean, how does it, it get any better? You pulled me up, right? Because you're empowered mm -hmm. women. You're empowering me. You're pulling me up. And then I'm putting my hand out to empower more people through this interview. How about that? Yes. I like it. I like it. Yes. Yes. I love that. Well, Sylvia, tell us about your background and how you started working with people on these turning points and change in their lives. You know, I love this question because it's it's pretty broad, but it, it gives me an, an opportunity to share a little bit about where I come from. I am a native of Brownsville, Texas, and I grew up with Mexican-born immigrant mm. parents, and they kind of instilled in me, you know, if you... In order to be successful in this country, you've got to be um, enough. 
and you've got to achieve to be mm-hmm. enough. And so I grew up being a perfectionist achiever, much like my father, who is a retired surgeon. And I kind of kept climbing the ladder. And I thought if I got there to this magical place, that I would find happiness and fulfillment. And interestingly enough, in my career, my first career was in sales at Pfizer. And I got to the number one spot in my region. And I'm standing in front of 300 of my peers at Pfizer. And I'm thinking I'm there, but I don't feel as fulfilled. And I don't feel as happy. And Hmm. that kind of starts a different quest for me. So I start going on a personal journey growth uh, quest. And I take this mastermind from uh, one of John Maxwell's uh, team players. And I am turned on by his messaging. And I start reading more books from John C. Maxwell, but I kind of put it in the back burner. And then in 2012, something very major happens, a major turning point that really is responsible for that major shift into the career I'm in now. And that is, I had six doctors walk into my hospital room and tell me I had a 20% chance of surviving. And it's very interesting when you face death like that very clearly. I surrendered to God in that moment. And that action of surrender put me in a very different place in my life. I started to ask myself what Hmm. my purpose was. And it led me to the book that I created, Journey to Me. Because the act of surrender put me in a different relationship with God. I trusted him fully to take the reins of my life. And I started to make those trade-offs that I needed to make. And I traded off my multiple award-winning career at Pfizer to move to Austin and start all over again, marry my best friend, have a child, transition from corporate America to stay-at-home parent. And then one morning, in journaling, I get this strong prompting from God to call Bridget, the lady I'd taken that mastermind from. And I do. and And the prompting is to become part of the John Maxwell team. And I started that certification in 17. And that's what kind of leads me down this path into becoming the multilingual speaker and turning points coach I am today. But it's those major turning points that I went through in my life. And in the book, I give you a blueprint and what the characteristics of turning points are like and how to take that turning point and shift your life towards your soul's true desires and how to follow the promptings that your intuition, uh, I'm a woman of faith, as you know, so what God instincts I'm getting. And so that's where I'm at. This is where I land with you guys today. Okay, I've got a few questions. I want to back up. You know, I've got to dig deep in the story because all of our listeners are not going to know about Brownsville, Texas. And I lived in Texas for a while and I actually read a fantastic book called The Boy Kings of Texas. Have you read it? No, but I'll you have read it to now. read it. You have to read it because it's about a guy who, like you, grew up in Brownsville, and Brownsville is just an intersection of American culture and Latino culture. Fair to say? Mm-hmm. Yes, very, very, very fair to say. <laughs> and so, you know, you're talking. Wait, hold on, because I'm I'm a Cali girl through and through. So, what does that exactly mean? Well, Brownsville's like, kind of rough, right, Sylvia? It's rough and it's right on the border and 95% of them are Hispanic. And to put it, to give you a perspective, my husband, who is very white, very blue eyes, blonde, 
was the only white guy at a Walmart, like the major store here in Texas. And the only one speaking English. Everybody else is speaking Spanish in the store. And so they they actually call Brownsville, Texas, the Valley, the Rio Grande Valley, which in California, I know there's the Valley too. (laughs) I don't know how that works. Yeah. (laughs) A little bit different. But that's, but that's a little different. But that's where, but it really was, I think it's important that people understand where you come from, because it's definitely a place where the immigrants who are the first generations are really trying to get their children positioned to live um, a better life, a strong life here in the States. And there's a conflict between giving up your culture and yes, uh, because like the book I read, the guy was great to talk about, you know, he was like trying to be American and like he couldn't be American mm-hmm. enough. But you also had this intersection where when you started to act too American, your Latino, you know, people sometimes have some grudges about that. Did you feel some of that? Very much. In fact, I was bullied because of that. I wasn't Mexican enough mm. for the Mexicans and I wasn't white enough for the Americans. So I felt kind of stuck in the middle mm-hmm. and chapter two kind of dives yeah. a little bit into that in journey to me uh, on the bullying that occurred. Uh, so yeah, I can, I can totally relate to what this guy was talking about. It's a little tougher and, and yes, you're right. The immigrants will, our parents pushed us, but here's the difference. And this is where I think people get stuck. I don't know who this guy is, but in my father's case, my parents' case, they were very proud to be Mexican. So at home, we were told to speak Spanish, and that's why my first language is Spanish. And he said, but because we brought you to this country, we want you to be respectful of the United States and their culture and their customs. So when you step foot outside of this house, I want you to be respectful of that, and you speak their language. And you, we accepted their customs, like Thanksgiving. It's not something that the Mexicans do. That's an American mm-hmm. tradition. So we mm-hmm. adopted that mm-hmm. growing up. So he did that's try the to. Indians. Parents Don't did, you know that, Sylvia? Yeah. That's the engines. Thanksgiving. <laughs> and I just say that kiddingly because I have Native American ancestors and I love that everybody thinks Thanksgiving's about engines, not Native Americans. And they think it, they've just got it all well, wrong. So I just had to throw that in. But I just wanted our so, listeners to know this um, kind of volatile. Um, oil and water kind of mix environment that you came from that is Brownsville, Texas, because it's kind of a barren land, right? As far as dusty, well, it's getting, hot. It's getting, it's getting better because now our friend Elon Musk is is out there on Boca Chica Beach and doing his SpaceX. So there's a lot of movement. And ever since the pandemic, we got even more people moving to Brownsville. So it's becoming a little metropolis. It's an but it's kind of like desert like desert like and mm-hmm. hot and dry. It's and... hot. It's hot and humid because we're right next to the ocean. So we're 40 yeah. minutes from the ocean. So we're really like you step outside and when I used to work for Pfizer and I had to work uh in blazers, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. girl. Oh no. Like within girl, two minutes I, live in I South was like sweating. Carolina, I, like, no, I totally get I'm you. I totally get you. <laughs> And people that have never lived a place like that along, you know, the Texas, just all throughout Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, where we get this low 
I mean, you just don't understand. Like I have actually gotten out of a car and my hair is curling up so fast. It's making my head itch. I mean, you can feel it moving. It's like, this is so weird. So I just want to lay that out about where you come from. Cause I think it's an interesting place and people that come from Brownsville and that kind of environment are different kind of people. You really had to be tough to come out of Brownsville oh, yeah. kicking. Well, and, and here's the, the other thing that I heard, and I, I can relate to this, Sylvia, because um, my my dad was first generation here, and his mom and his dad were from Mexico. And so, you know, they, they just spoke Spanish in the house, but it was when they, go, they went out of the house, they had to, you know, speak English. And uh, I don't speak Spanish. And people till this day will kind of uh, reprimand me for mm-hmm. not speaking Spanish. Hola, estas? Well, <laughs> I know what that means. Like I understand a little bit, but I will respond in English mm-hmm. and people are like, no, I don't like that. You need to learn how to speak Spanish. And some people are really gracious, but I understand how you would feel so... Uh, almost displaced, you know, mm-hmm. being in this, in this place and you're like, and I'm looking for I those do? who don't know, like Christina you know? looks a lot more Latin than Sylvia does. And, <laughs> just yeah, what we, and I'm going to say that because all. I know we're using stereotypes because there are light skinned, light haired Latinas. Oh, yeah. Um, but oh, yeah. it, what we think of someone from Mexico, uh, Sylvia's, uh, she might be as fair skinned as I am, which is saying a lot. Um, and uh, Christina, you know, I am not Latin. <laughs> I am white and Indian. Um, um, and, you know, very European, got a little bit, you know, Spanish, but and I mean, I'm a little bit French. My husband's got the Spanish, but you know, we make it, you know, the stereotypes are real. And the mm-hmm. the thing mm-hmm. I really want to bring mm-hmm. out there, you know, is that conflict, that conflict and a little bit now of, how did you really have to work know. to know your identity? Whereas my identity is right. all around me. That had to be hard. Well, and, and this was, this was an interesting part of your story where you said you, you were bullied a little bit and it was like, how do you maneuver in that? And, and what kind of feelings did you, did you feel, you know, when you were going through those, through those motions, because how old were you at that time? Like, you know, that has to be a challenge. when, When I was in ninth grade. So what am I, 15, 14, 15 years old? Yeah. And yeah, my best friend who was Mexican, uh, turned on me basically and turned on the popular crowd and started to bully me emotionally and the boys um there's a story in chapter two where i talk about a homecoming dance that i'm that i'm invited to and then two days before the dance he pulls out telling me that i um his grandmother's sick and he can't take me to the dance but the truth was he had asked another girl to the dance And so here comes a major decision, right? A shift. And my mother Mm -hmm. being the strong woman, she emerges as the hero in chapter two. She tells me, Sylvia, I, you know, you have two choices here, hon. You can either go to the dance and face your bullies, 
or you can stay home and become their victim. Either way, I'm going to love you, but you have a choice to make. Wow. And I thought wow. about it and I thought, you know what? I bought my dress. It was a purple dress of all things, right? So it was a purple dress, gold heels, you know, the hair with Aquanet because back in the, you know, those early years, of <laughs> course, we needed Aquanet to get our hair up. And um, my mama used and my mama said, Why don't you invite somebody? It had a special smell. Yeah. So my mom said, you know, I, I, I have an idea and you can invite this guy and you can take yourself to the dance. And I did. I took Danny and Danny was four years older than me and um, had a girlfriend. But the girlfriend said, you need to help her face those bullies. I want you to go to the dance and take her to the dance. And we were buddies since then. And so there are good men in this world. Danny, thank you. Because I was able to face my bullies. So what what feelings came up was the feeling of feeling like a victim, you know, feeling humiliated mm. because the whole school found out the sc- this whole school knew and they made fun of me. Like it was another way for them to attack me, but it was interesting because that was another turning point in my life where I just shifted my lens. And I said, no, I said no to being a victim. And I said, yes, to facing my fears head on. Didn't feel comfortable, but Wow. But it's better for my identity yeah. as a as a woman, as a young girl. That's a lot. That yeah. that's a lot at fifteen. But yeah. you know, it kind that's of leads lot. us into that conversation about changes and choices. It seems like anytime we make bold choices or bold changes in our lives, there are going to be people that feel either threatened, left behind, mm-hmm. and somehow impacted in a negative way by our choice to do better, be better, or just do something different. So let's kind of dive into to the work that you do. We wanted to know, um, did the book come before you started working with people or is the book a product of all these men and women you've coached? The book is a prompting from God from the last 13 years that I put on hold Um, because I was too much of a perfectionist to think, you know, that I had any value. I didn't have, I felt not enough for a long time. And I put it on the back burner. burner. So it was both insecurity and perfectionism. Yes. And those kind of go together in a weird way, right? They do. They do because perfectionism is an illusion that your subconscious mind creates. It is a pattern of behavior that emerges from um, a feeling of not enoughness. And that comes, that a lot of women will fall into that, into that pattern of behavior because we are taught from a very young age that we need to sacrifice and be a certain way. And I know in the Mexican culture, it's like, you need to sacrifice in order to have it all. And that's simply not true. You don't need to sacrifice. You just need to identify what makes you whole, what is in alignment to your soul desires. And sometimes when we grow up the way we grow up, we uh, are fear-based ego identity, which is something I talk a lot about in the book, will come into play. And that's where this these perfectionist patterns of behavior reside in the subconscious part of the mind, and they comprise that fear-based ego identity. And it rears its ugly head when you go through major change in life, major turning points like being bullied or, in my case, in Chapter 14, 
uh, hitting an emotional turning point in my second marriage. And you're right, Gail, when you were talking about how it might threaten other people, it somewhat threatened my husband because it brought up his own feelings of not feeling enough after his parents divorced that mm. he never dealt with. And when you don't deal with these beliefs mm. that limit your amazing capacity as a human being, they will rear their ugly head when change is occurring in your life. And so as a coach, as a turning points coach, what I help in the book is by guiding you, by sharing with you, what does a turning point look like? What's happening with your subconscious mind? What is happening with your conscious mind? What is happening with your relationship with your inner source of wisdom? In my case, it's God. So what's happening in, with that relationship? What is your environment doing? You know, what's happening? And sometimes mm. our environment is toxic because we are surrounded by people that do not have our best interests at heart. And we don't know it yet, though, because yes. we think that, well, they love us and they're our family and they they have our best interests. But that's not necessarily true because they're also dealing with their limiting beliefs and their own patterns of behavior. And they're not even aware of it. They're, they have not come to They've that. Got, that I have found my, people uh, all... They're all about <laughs> you doing great until it makes them feel threatened or less than, yeah. or it shines a or spot when they need something. on their lack. Like if you're yeah. doing something big and good reminds them of what they're not doing, then they suddenly become not so good with it. It's almost like it shines. Your spotlight is now shining light onto them is what I personally have consistently seen over and over, especially with mm -hmm. women. So I want to ask you, do you see this playing out differently with women than men? Yes and no. And I'll tell you why I say yes and no. Yes, because women tend to be more on the emotional side of things, right? They are more mm -hmm. emotionally in tune because men grow up being told as little boys, don't show your emotions. Don't show your emotions. That's not manly. So it's a societal thing that's going on with men. Whereas with women, we're allowed to show our and they're emotions, told they're strong. They, you are and they strong. Told you're strong. You're strong when you do that. But the mm -hmm. thing is this too: sometimes the balance is totally off, and they take it to the extreme. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And when it throws itself off balance, that's when these patterns of behavior, like the victim, shows up, and the victim will place blame on others. They will never look inward and take ownership for their own. So part of the coaching is the first thing you must do is allow these things to rear their ugly heads. Identify what limiting beliefs are the drive are sitting in the driver's seat of the actions mm -hmm. and the reactions mm -hmm. and the triggers and the habits you've created. Because that's the identity you currently hold. And that's what I that's the value I share in chapter 14. Because when I go through this emotional thing. Uh, emotional turning point in my marriage, I turned to God immediately because I had a different relationship right. with God, right? I had already surrendered to him in 2012 prior to marrying my second husband. But after so many changes and so many things that had happened, five years of resentments building up, we were at a, an emotional turning point where I kind of was like, we may separate and get divorced and that's not what I want. That's not in alignment with what God wants for me either. Right. So I turn inward to God. Right. And I start making those changes that initially throw him off because he's like, what? 
is going on? Like, why is she all of a sudden not this negative person that I married? Now she's being more positive. Now she's interrupting some of these habits. Because the people around you are comfortable with that person. Yeah. The people yeah, around you are comfortable to... with that person. So now yeah. as you start becoming a different person, they're, they're like, I, da, 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 you know, it can throw well, them off. And and let's just talk really quickly about the surrendering in 2012. So you have sure. this, this, I call it an awakening. <laughs> um, that's, that's me. I call it the awakening. You have this awakening in 2012 and like we all do, we get busy, we get consumed with other things that are going on. And then all of a sudden we have this big thing, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm clapping my hands audience and, you know, that happens and we recognize, oh crap, I haven't been surrendering. I've just been running on autopilot <laughs> and I've let these things sink into my life that I really didn't want or didn't need or just, you know, sometimes they just do it because we're on autopilot mm-hmm. so much. Mm-hmm. And you recognized it and you turned inward. Sylvia, I love that because that is the grounding. That's the foundation of the decision you made in 2012. And that yeah. decision that you made in 2012, God just brought you back into the fold. And we'll call it God because that's your belief and, you know, that's what I believe too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I know what Gail believes too. We love us some Jesus. But some people refer you know? it as and intuitive I just, hits or inner wisdom as, or universe or right. energy. Higher power. It's different for everybody. Higher pi- yeah. Uh, yeah, higher power. Yeah, it's different for everybody. But it was that, it was the recognition that I find so fascinating that you were like, this is an inside job. This Mm -hmm. is not me going to my husband or me going to the external because when I change, things around me change. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but the serenity prayer is like a huge deal for me. And anybody, doesn't matter what your belief system is. I think the serenity prayer Mm -hmm. people cling to because Mm -hmm. it's, it's so foundational. And so I love this pivot that happened. And I love that you turned inward. Well, I mean, you know, Christina, really you said beautiful. something interesting there about, you know, autopilot. I want to, I want to talk about mm. that a minute because yeah. I think we seek autopilot. We seek out mm. that yes. boat on the ocean that's floating along and everything in our lives is fine and everything's good and nothing's rocking the boat. Yes. yes. But we also know that there's no growth in those seasons, even though we sort of crave that. That's not where the that's not where the real things happen. Mm-hmm. And I know for me, I feel like I'm dealt with, with like, you know, when you go bowling and they put the, on those bumper guards for the children, <laughs> that's what my life kind of feels like sometimes. It, it, I don't feel like, and I am a believer, so I would say God, but whatever your power is, like he doesn't, like I've even asked some of my friends, he'll say, well, God told me, and I'm like, Really? Was that audible? Was it a billboard? Tell me about that. Cause that's not how he speaks to me. He speaks to me more than keeping me out. He, he kind of tries to keep me out of ditches and out of trouble. And mm-hmm. he like, I feel like I'm kind of bounce around in this lane and he's putting these girds on me. Um, but I definitely feel like he will, he will show me things by like starting to shut things down. And I can tell I'm being turned in another direction. Um, Uh But that 
desire for everything to just be autopilot, to just rock on without any kind of interruption or pause or shaking or anything is just such a falsehood. Do you agree with that, Sylvia? I do. And I'll tell you why. Um, To me, what was coming into my awareness was when we avoid pain, we fall into these patterns of behavior that sound like this. We avoid, I call it the avoider. And we go into these modes of action. And it's just to kind of float through life and not truly work through the pain that's showing up and emerging. Because when these things emerge, ladies, these patterns of behavior, one should really rejoice. It's a time to rejoice because patterns are actually showing themselves. They don't like to show themselves. They like to do like what you're talking about. Cruise through life. Well, can I interrupt there? Without really hurting anything. Sure. Because I want to kind of back up and talk about patterns of behavior because we kind of started talking about it like everybody understands that that's what happens. And we may have listeners who don't, but we do display patterns of behavior. And I want to know your thoughts on it because I see people engage in cyclical patterns, repetitive patterns, even repetitive patterns that are not... um, bringing forth fruit in their lives that are not serving them well. Mm-hmm. Nope. But I, I can't wait to hear what you say about this because my experience is that people like the familiar, even if the familiar is not good mm. or it's not best. You're so right. You're mm-hmm. so right, Gail. Like I, I, I want to hear baby. from Sylvia. Say you are again. so right. Speak those words to me. <laughs> so when talk we talk about patterns me. of behavior, yeah, <laughs> talk to me, baby. Tell it. me I'm right. You know how rarely I hear that from the people in my home? Um, so when we talk about patterns of behavior, are they always cyclical? Um, are they, tell me what well, you see as you've studied people, because I'm, I don't know if some people even realize that they're in a pattern. Journey to me kind of gives you an indication of how these things show up. Okay. So anytime you navigate change and there's significant stress in your life, these patterns are going to show up and they're going to manifest themselves in different ways. So I'll I'll share some of the patterns and what characteristics that will help your listeners. Yes. Yes. um, Yes. So for example, In the emotional turning point that I had in chapter 14, my victim showed up because I did not feel in love. So this is how this works. When you have, before the age of seven, you have the modeling and the trauma and the memories. And I want you to think of it as the soil that feeds your mind. Okay. Okay. Say that again. Picture a tree. So the the modeling, trauma, and and just these memories that you have, uh, fear-based memories, even love-based memories are the soil that feeds your subconscious programming. Okay. Cause you have two minds, you have subconscious, which is where you're not aware and it's automatic. And, and all your programming is your habits, your patterns of behavior stored there, your feelings, the emotional mind. Right? Okay. So what you're saying is based on your maturity level of your brain and your your soul and your, your feelings that before the age of seven, these are really your, the things that impact you and shape you. Is that what you're saying? Yes. So basically, cause I want to, I want to break this down. Modeling would be 
the people around well, you. Like what, well, like what your parents taught you through their actions. Parents, mm-hmm. yeah, parents. Actions, parents and teachers. Okay, because okay. subconscious mind oh. does not have a filter. It just takes everything mm. in and stores it, okay? The conscious mind is where your choices, your thoughts, your attitudes reside. But when you're a little kid, you haven't developed that yet, right? You don't know to stop something consciously from occurring to you or to to put up boundaries because you're a little kid and your mind is not fully developed yet. So your subconscious mind is the most powerful part of your mind. And that's where your beliefs, your feelings, your patterns of behavior, your habits, your triggers, and your reactions are stored. Okay. So you can imagine. Yep. Big storage. Oh, okay. You know, Sylvia, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like, how did I mess up my kid? (laughs) (laughs) And how, how, and God bless my parents, but how they messed me and my sister up. Well, because (laughs) they don't know. They're not aware of what they're doing. And and they're basing it on their programming. Um, they're oh, toxic it's, programming. It's, so yeah, it's great. It's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was a lot of the reason why I wrote Journey to Me. So that parents could see what they're modeling mm. and why. You know, to understand. So what you're basically so, saying we have a lot of toxic programming as children. Well, yeah. As children, we do. And so mm-hmm. what happens with these patterns of behavior, this is how this works. Okay. So I want you to picture a tree. I know this sounds weird, but this is part of my coaching process. So I want you to picture the tree because you are the tree. The soil is Mm. your trauma and your memories and your programming and your modeling. Yes. Your significant emotional events. Okay. Fear and love-based. All of them are there. As you go up the tree, the actual root of the tree, those are your belief systems. And you either have belief systems coming from fear and you have, or belief systems stemming from love right? I am beautiful. I'm not enough. You know, they're all in there. As you go up the tree, Mm. those are your thoughts. Those are your attitudes. Those are your choices. That's a big part of the tree, right? This is where we consciously can control and make those changes that we need to make in our life. As you go up the tree, that's where feelings reside, right? Before the tree branches out, that's where feelings are. Because once they branch out, you're in trouble. Mm. Okay, because the subconscious mind, when a trauma occurs, will attach itself to the feeling. So if the feeling is that's right, doubtful or not enough, the feeling is at the center. Then you have patterns of behavior that attach themselves to it. So at the at the moment of trauma or a moment of whatever's happening in your life, you will have a, a pattern of behavior like the security seeker. In chapter one of Journey to Me, I talk mm-hmm. about a trauma where my sister almost dies and my dad turns to me and tells me, if your sister dies, it will be your fault. I'm, I'm seven years old. So at the moment of, of trauma, my sister's near death experience, wow. I form a feeling of um, doubt. Doubt shows up and the pattern of behavior that attaches itself is security seeker. The security seeker seeks security and stays comfortable security. in their little box. Mm-hmm. Okay. In their little box. And these are people that will fight to be right in arguments with others because it gives them that security. 
These are people that are not going to stretch themselves out of their comfort zone because it's too scary for them. That's how it manifests, okay? Aside from the pattern of behavior attaching itself to the doubt, you had the limiting belief of, I'm not trustworthy to make responsible decisions that forms after that trauma. And you have triggers mm. and reactions. Do you see how that works? So feeling at the base of the, of the tree is the feeling. And then when it branches out, that's where patterns of behavior habits, you also create a habit, right? That's part of your programming. And so sometimes it's either wow. a pattern of behavior showing up or it's a habit you have formed. And so that's where the law of reflection comes into play, where our friend John C. Maxwell makes its debut, you know, and you reflect every day, like, why did I get triggered? Why do I feel doubtful? And only you can ask yourself those questions. Why, why, why questions, right? Because they're hard questions to ask yourself, but they're so important because you want to Remind understand what's at the root of this. So you can work Reminds through it me and of remove the fourth it. step. <laughs> Reminds me of a fourth step in 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 AA, almost like the reflection of okay, wait, I've got to know why I did what I did in order to change the process. Of yeah, Christina, why I was doing it's what reminding I was doing. me of some teaching and understanding I've had, and I, I can't remember the name of anatomy of a I forgot what the word is, but it's used a lot in addiction circles. Um, but it had much more application than that, but. The same premise that you're saying, Sylvia, mm -hmm. is that there's a trauma that takes place. Mm -hmm. There's an incident. There's something. Mm -hmm. And at that something point, happened. you believe a lie. You start to believe mm -hmm. a lie of I'm not good enough. You're unlovable. You're to this. You're not that. And mm -hmm. the only way to, like you were saying, um, to allow the beliefs to rear their heads mm. and identify them. So I think in all these schools of thought and all these things, all of us have been taught and trained on and heard that are in, you know, on this call right now is going back to that root. And I call it, mm -hmm. you got to go back and dig out the root of the weed because if you mm -hmm. don't, the weed yep. just grows back. You know, if you just deal with the surface, well, when and did I start just, believing that and happening. why and identify the lie because like for you, the lie yeah. was that you were responsible for someone's life for and her. that yeah. you, um, you needed that security now because I had been taken from you at that moment. And mm -hmm. I know for me, like I share this all the time growing up, there was an incident. I think it was not having a date to a dance or something. So Sylvia, I can relate to you. I was a Tom girl. I was, you know, tomboy, whatever you call it. <laughs> and I, I remember I was, you know, pining to my mom about this. And she said, Gail, you're not the prettiest. You're not the ugliest. You're average. And so I went forth with the belief that I was average. Mm -hmm. Well, average. when you do that, you marry average. You perform yeah. what is average or average. you get the ass about it and try to outrun it and kill yourself trying mm -hmm. to be good enough, you know? Mm -hmm. So one of two things is going to happen. Neither one of them really is good, but that being labeled as mm -hmm. average is saying that's what you think you deserve. And mm -hmm. my mother actually meant that as an encouragement. She was so yeah, damaged she <laughs> by her mm -hmm. tra yeah. severely traumatic childhood that average yeah. was good to her. That was 
that was awesome. We're average. We're doing it, you know? So I think it's fascinating that so much of who we are, so much of what we believe, so much of how we behave is rooted in trauma. And that is so, and this is just fascinating. This is the other thing too, Gail is like, you know, you know, you know that you and I have spoke about me doing EMDR therapy Mm -hmm. and I'll tell you, Sylvia, I've been doing this therapy and it is super emotional. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I don't want to get all teary eyed because I've got my makeup be. on today. Yeah, but don't you know don't rent your face, girl. <laughs> okay. It's okay, girl. You can, you can share. But I've done that therapy too. But, I had to do it for that trauma. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the first, the first session that, that we had, I didn't realize how much I was carrying Mm -hmm. in regards to me and my dad. Um, and, and, and I love my dad. I mean, he's now gone, but I love my dad because of who he was as a, as a person and how he operated his life. And he was just doing the best he could with what he had. And my mom too, you know, she's still living, but there's, there's just these things that Mm -hmm. we have to dig out. Like Gail was saying, and man, when you finally get that weight lifted and you realize I've been holding on to this for so long, it's almost this freedom Mm-hmm. of, of like, ah, uh, type freedom. And, yes. and I'm still doing it. I have, because I have it, stuff for you my know what sister that means, and all Christina? that stuff. <laughs> I think but. the reason it feels so freeing is because you realize you're not flawed. It was a thing yes. in you. It was a mm-hmm. thing that happened yes. to you. It's not who was- you are in essence, but now right. I also love right. that the more we study behavior, emotions, trauma, and the more we do the work and the therapy on ourselves, whether it's, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, EMDR, Mm -hmm. all the things, the tapping, if we study the Enneagram, the more, Mm -hmm. for me anyway, that we learn about ourselves, the more we know about other people. Because when you realize that people's bad behavior is often rooted in Mm -hmm. their own traumas, we start to see people with empathy Yes. Yeah. But in so and I will tell wow, you we're so deep in the woods over here. We're not even on question <laughs> three, I don't think. Well well here, let but me I'm just loving share this one conversation thing on that point. Because this is something I was talking to my husband about is my father was operating from his fear based ego identity. That's right. what that's what he that's what came out because he, and this is something I just now realized about my dad. Now, my father came from an abusive uh, background. His father was an alcoholic and an abuser that used to abuse their mother in front of the children. So the fact that he didn't do that to us was already a step up, you know, right. what he could right. have right. right? And he had a trauma that occurred when my, my brother was four years old. He lost a toe in a motorcycle accident. And that, that trauma Mm. is probably what led to my father turning to me and saying, if she dies, it will be your fault because his own security seeker was being threatened. 
Yes. So I, right now I look at my dad and when I hear those patterns show up and I know when they're in pattern mode, because even their voice changes, they turn into little kids. There's no logic to their argument. Mm -hmm. Let me put it that way. Okay. And oh, yes. I yes. actually visualize them as a little kid. And it gives me that immediate empathy and compassion because I'm not dealing yes. with a conscious adult. I'm dealing okay. with a subconscious child that was hurt. Mm. And Sylvia, can I just can I just tell you right now, you have just shined a light on something for me. And I just want to say thank you because Gail knows, Gail knows what's been going on and it's been hard. It's been really hard And I get it. I have someone in my life that I have to see as the wounded child they are. Otherwise I would just cut them completely out of my life and it allows Mm -hmm. me to have some empathy, but I still have to have some walls of protection, but being able to see that truth is, is very powerful. Now you said something a minute ago. I want to, I want to understand Sylvia about- if I understood you correctly, you're saying that people go in and out of the, the cycles and the patterns. So are you saying that mm-hmm. we live parts of our life with cognizance and awareness and decision-making, but when things happen is when we revert to the pattern or are we always in a pattern? Is that cognizance and that choice-making part of the pattern or is there inside and outside of the pattern? So let me, let me uh, speak in layman's terms. When the feeling shows up and you have not dealt and you have not worked through the feeling and understanding where that feeling is coming from, this will repeat itself over and over and over again, because you have not made that connection as to why that pattern is showing up in your life. You're just letting it pass by. Does that make sense? So until you work through it and uproot it and understand what belief is in the driver's seat, this will continue over and over again. Did I answer your question? And guys, this has some physiological impacts oh. too, because these neural pathways in our brain, yes. if you've not studied that, when you have repetitive thoughts, it creates a groove almost for lack mm-hmm. of a better term. Mm-hmm. Like if you've ever looked at, if you, like I grew up going to dirt track car racing. I don't think I've ever told Christina that. But you, if you watch the cars, <laughs> no, they haven't. run in a groove and it's very hard to get yes. out of the groove. And so mm-hmm. the easiest, the, the, the pattern of least resistance is to drive in that groove, drive in that groove, drive in that groove. Mm-hmm. And our brain does the same thing. So the more often yep. we think these things and we fall into these patterns, the more set the pattern becomes and making an exit turns into a very hard right. It's got to like mm-hmm. grab the steering wheel, jump up over that rut in the mud is the way you have to look at it. But the beautiful thing is we do have that power. But if, like you said, oh. if we don't allow the belief to raise their head, we don't identify that we're in the groove. We can't grab that steering wheel and get that car out of that groove. And you know, the beauty guys is you can create a new neural pathway. And one thing that's been yes. really interesting for me is as a believer, and we don't talk about religion on this show because we we know everybody has their own deal, but, you know, in the Bible, it talks about the renewing of your mind. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. I connected that, the renewing of your mind, that told me that it could be done. 
So if you're a believer, you need to cling to that verse that no matter what your mind is, it can be changed unless you have, you know, psychological deficits that prevent that. But you compare that with what we're seeing in the, you know, psychological study worlds, the, the brain health worlds, the, um, you know, cognitive scientists, all these, y'all, it's all telling us that same thing. And I find Mm -hmm. that fascinating. Well, and the other thing too, Gail, is that you have to constantly work at the new neuropathways that are being created. Or you're over there in the ditch again. Right. Because Sylvia was Mm -hmm. talking about, you've got to dig that out. And the way that you dig that out is constantly practice you know, this new behavior so you can make those new grooves and so you can operate differently, like looking at people. Well, you know, she talked about their subconscious mind. Let me explain. Subconscious versus conscious. For people to actually be able to do this, like an actionable coaching tip, if I may. When the yes, we love begin. action items. <laughs> so when the thought starts, because remember, the thought is the one that promotes the feeling. When you start thinking like, oh, mm-hmm. he's such an idiot. And I can't believe he just said that. What is happening to your feeling is it's getting stronger and stronger. But the thought is what's promoting that. And that is a conscious ability of your mind. You have control over that. So what you can do is say old ego habit, old fear-based ego habit. I think negative things about someone. I don't know what it is, right? So that's your old habit. Habit interrupt or pattern interrupt, depending on if if you're in pattern mode or if it's a habit you're doing. Habit interrupt. You got to do something physical to snap your subconscious mind from the automatic programming you've given it over time. So it's got to be something physical. So, um, if I'm saying something negative about this person in my mind and they're standing right in front of me, what I will do as a physical thing is I will say something nice about them to their face. And that's a physical thing I'm doing. And that's to wake up my conscious mind and my new empowered ego habit because ego is your self image. Okay. It's not a bad thing. It's your self image. So New empowered ego habit is uh, I will interrupt the thought before it becomes a feeling. So I will not even engage with the thoughts because when you engage Ooh, with the I thoughts, love that. That's interrupt what, the thought. Yeah, say that again for our listeners. I will interrupt the thought before it becomes a feeling. A feeling. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Interrupt the thought that, before it becomes I, a feeling. I'm going to run out because of pencil. Once it becomes a feeling. <laughs> When you, we are off to the races feeling? once those feelings get involved. Yeah. Well, we are you off to the races. Firing at the same time. Well, we, let, right? let's just say this. We start to make really poor choices when it's hit the feels. Because yeah. when it hits the feels, your girl over here will either cry, cuss you out, or, or want to punch you in your face. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Christina one uh, Usually I want to. She's yeah, Jenny it, from the hood I, once she starts having I, emotions. I, 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 yeah, it is it is pretty bad cuz like I don't I don't go there very often um but there are, are a few people in my life. well no there's there's one person <laughs> There's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
the penis just doesn't even know what to do with us. This is why I'm going through therapy, Sylvia. No, there, there is, there is one person in my life in, in me. It does. It does. But there's one person in my life and I I was telling my husband yesterday, I said, I just, I think I'm just going to go to her work and I'm going to sit on her car and I'm going to wait till she comes out. My husband's like, um, you will be in jail. So (laughs) let's not do that. And I was like, how do you know? He's like, I know you got to remember Christina (laughs) is five foot tall on a good day. So she just going to go out and just, I mean, she gets so (laughs) Jenny from the hood. It just cracks me up. But you know, it's true because here's what I have found too, is that one thought leads to the next thought that leads to the next thought and the next feeling and the next feeling. And it becomes a runaway train. Yeah. And I know I have this one friend who is really good at having these runaway thoughts and feelings. And I always say to her, okay, we need to, to bring the train back to the station. And I imagine the little kids wouldn't train. And if your kids had that, <laughs> it had this big like changing station where the trains backed into and turned around. And I imagine that we just got to bring ourselves back and rotate the little um, Thomas the Tank Engine <laughs> changing station to a new thought, a new feeling, because once that is so far down the track, y'all, it's really hard to bring it back. But if we can learn, if we can learn to stop it, no, I mean, my theory has been, if I can learn to stop it, like you're saying before it becomes runaway, because that's the, the layman's very uneducated (laughs) knowledge I use (laughs) is before it becomes runaway, before it becomes subconscious, just running amok and all the things and fuel. Mm -hmm. And then I've also found it helpful, I want to see what you think about this, to have people in my life who will say, excuse me, Gail, and y'all, if you've met me, these have to be some very powerful, unafraid people to interrupt Gail when Gail's gone on a tangent. But when you, you agree to those, have those people in your life and you give them that kind of permission, I think that's super powerful that you can do it for yourself. Yes. But you also have these checks and balances of people to help you. So what are your thoughts on mm-hmm. all of that? I am I ready am to hang out my shingle? You, am I good? Well, the empowerment, you need an empowering community around you as you navigate change. Everybody needs it yes. because what happens in your environment is that change is a time when all of these things come about and the other thing to look for is make sure those people have your best interest at heart that they don't have a stake in what you're doing you know that they mm-hmm. really do advise you and you know you people show you who they are at their core except we fail to see believe it at them times because we love them and we we believe them um but a lot of that is on us because we have given them the responsibility we've given them the ability to respond is on us we're the ones that take charge of our own lives and ownership of our own lives when we give it to somebody else and then they fail us where does that leave us right so you want to make sure that that environment is People that advise you well have done it well in the past. You rely on their good judgment. People that don't have any emotional stake in it. That is very good advice. That is something I give as part of the coaching tips in the book. 
because change I think and these stress two have to be bring people out who all have these done other their own work. Yeah, would you agree? I think yes these have to be people who have they're healthy in their own space or their crap can yes. fall on you. Yes. Yes, because well, if, the you're other thing em- too- if you're an empath, what happens with empaths mm-hmm. is they don't do the work and they don't have those <sighs> lovely, healthy boundaries in place. Then what happens is you will take on their stuff and hold it. I used to do this a lot and carry it. And you can't do that and be the the best version of you and the person that you were created to be and, and be able to step into your light and your power powerfully and into the desires that have been placed in your heart to do. Because those desires have always been there. We just have mm. allowed our subconscious mind and our fear-based ego to control our actions over time. We need to interrupt those first, empower the ego first, and and turn truly inward for our answers because the answers are inside of you. They're nowhere outside of you. That getting there and those magical right. places that we think we're going to find our answers, they're inside of you. Those answers are inside of you. And when you reflect and when you surround yourself with people that have your best interest at heart, and when you allow the silence to occur in your life too, because we're action people, Gail. I know you're an action person. And so is Christina. Oh, and gosh, what happens yes. when you're in action is that the silence doesn't have space to give you those answers. And there's patience mm. in the timing of things. And I don't know about y'all, yeah. but the big thing that I struggle with is impatience. I want it now. Mm-hmm. I don't want to what wait are you two about? years down yes. the road. I don't. We're talking about Christina. She's on to us. She's on to us. I know she is. She is. I think well, I have to. I have to say this. Wait, 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 Gail. I have to say this because you know we were talking about who who's in your amen corner, and I talk about this all the time, um, just because we want we want people that. Um, just will help us to reflect and make sure we're not going to go and go to jail or, <laughs> or, 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 you know, look really bad to other people. Gil's, Gil's dying right now because she's, she knows where I'm going here, but I will pick up the phone and I will call Gil and I'll say, I need your wisdom. I just need your wisdom for a minute. minute. And she's like, all right, lay it on me. And usually I say, what I are you thinking that, about doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's typically and I said, no, this is what I already did. And she's like, Oh Lord, you can't walk that one back. And I'm like, You're What did right. I tell you so, last week? I said, I really need you to call me before call, you do call it. Me before. Because she said I did something. I'm like my heart was just trembling because I knew if she tell me like that, it's like the kid that hits somebody in the head with a rock on the playground and the person's bleeding and you gotta go tell. That's what it feels like. But you know, well, I think too that permission is important. We mm-hmm. have to give yes. people permission because people like Christina and I are strong personalities. People don't like to tell us no because mm-hmm. we don't take it very well. But we have to have people in our lives that we've given permission to do that. And we have to let them know, I may not like it, but I'm going to love you for it later. Mm-hmm. Don't judge by the look on my face in this moment <laughs> because I don't yeah. like you don't to want hear people it, that so. are going to sugarcoat it for you. Because somebody no, that I, is in I call those people you, when I'm 
No. Yeah. I love no, the sugar coaters when I'm insecure about my appearance or something, but for the real stuff, you want people who are strong enough to stand up to you. And for people like Christina and me, it's hard. I mean, people, mm-hmm. well, they're they like, love I'm you. not telling you the truth. That's <laughs> well, an expression and I think of their love when they tell you the truth. <laughs> well, yeah. I think that's well, yeah, what we all they... have in common because people are intimidated by someone like me. They don't like to tell me no mm-hmm. because they think I'm going to take it wrong. But mm-hmm. it's interesting because I actually respect people more when they have yes. the strength to tell me the truth and not sugarcoat mm-hmm. anything. So I think what that's what most yeah. people miss about strong women like us is that we actually respect y'all more when you tell us no. Well, Christine mm-hmm. and I have given each other that permission. Yes. Mm-hmm. We may not always like to hear it. Yeah. And you can tell just as well when Christina did not like <laughs> what my response was. <laughs> She gets really, she gets this little attitude on the phone. She has these little voices, but it'll, she'll circle back around she'll, and she'll tell me, I've really thought about what you said and da, da, da. And I think mm-hmm. we have, it's my responsibility to tell the people around me, it's okay. Like, I, it's okay to tell me no. It's okay to tell me the truth. I want to hear the truth or to at least pick, select. And this is not Sylvia's words. These are what Gail's adding to the pie that, if you're a really strong personality like we are, give some people permission. I mean, really let them know yes. I'm going to love you, even if you tell me you don't agree with me or I'm wrong. Yep. You better be prepared to tell me why, but <laughs> I'm still oh, yeah. going to love you. I'm still going to love you. Well, we are quickly running out of time. So, Sylvia, when mm. someone realizes they need to change, what are those first steps to? having a meaningful change because I think a lot of people toy with the idea of change like new year's resolutions Mm -hmm. um, commitments goal setting and I've been working for women for 27 years and if I had a dollar for every time Mm -hmm. they've set a goal that they did not do one dang thing about I would be a very wealthy woman and it's sad to me and I do the same thing I say I'm gonna go on a diet tomorrow or I'm gonna start exercising tomorrow how do we really be actionable what gets that process started so give us your best guidance there okay so what you want to do is you want to create a vision because your subconscious mind needs a gps it needs direction because right now the direction you're giving it is your old programming so you want to be a healthier you create a vision that gives you an indication Give of what examples. your soul desires. So a vision board, get a bunch of magazines and get creative, get a big poster board and start pulling out those images that speak, that pull you to pull them out because that's your soul's desires. This is where your inner wisdom is helping you. Allow your inner wisdom to help you when you create a vision board. Put it up and take a look at it and put it in four different pillars career, you know, per, you know, career, relationship, mindset, and health. Okay. So now you have the vision and now you, you got to start asking yourself, why do I want to be a healthier me? Why am I doing this? And it's got to be powerful for you because when your fear-based ego identity threatens you about a month into your change, you're going to have to push back hard yeah. 
with, with your goals and your action steps that you're going to set up. So the purpose has to be very, very strong. So in my case, in chapter 14, when I made the changes to change my habits and not being such a negative person, so my second marriage wouldn't end up in divorce, I had to push really hard against my ego, my fear-based ego, because a month into mm. the changes I was making, it came back and, and told me I needed to quit because it was getting too hard. And I yeah. dug yeah, inward. Yeah, I can see that. I dug inward. And I asked myself, my interruption was, how badly do I want to stay married? And I would look at my vision and I would look at the pictures and I would dig my heels in and, and recruit my tenacity and my resilience that I had built up over time. All those experiences I'd been through as a kid and through my adulthood. And I put them into practice through my goal setting. And I had very specific goals. I, I stuck to one goal. In my career, one goal in my relationship, one goal in my health, and one goal in my mindset. And I stuck to those four goals throughout that 45 days. And I turned inward. And the last thing I'm going to talk about is identity. You have got to create the identity of a healthy person. So in the goals that you are making, you want to make sure that you put in the action steps that are going to get you to the identity of the person that is healthy. In my case, I told myself that I was going to stop interrupting and intervening my husband when he disciplined my first boy for my first marriage. I would mm. physically walk into a room and meditate and get out of the way. And what was the result? I stopped fighting with him. I stopped getting triggered. And our marriage was a lot more harmonious. But I physically had mm. to take myself out of there. And that's when my ego was really like fighting me. Are, are you sure you want this change? Because that's what it's going to do. Because it's the programming you've given it for the last 40 plus years. Since we're talking about midlife women, it's going to be a lot of years that you've developed these grooves. So it's going to take all of your strength and all of your willpower and that purpose better be strong. Because it's you're going to need it. So vision, purpose, mm. the goals that you put in are the goals that are going to lead you to the identity of that person. My soul identity emerged after 45 days because I turned inward. I turned to God and God guided me directly into my light and to stay married. And, and I heard what was being told in that silence, in that space. And I created that space every day for 45 days because it takes a good 45 days for you guys to break those grooves and to create new grooves and do it like Christina said earlier. You got to do it every day, whether you feel like it or not. I don't care if you feel like it, you're going to do it every day. If you do, if you want it bad enough. So one question I ask myself, how badly do I want this? And if you want to use that for yourself, you go right ahead. You have my full permission. Get my book. I have tons of coaching tips in there for creating that identity and that vision and that purpose. So I hope that helps. I love it, Sylvia. You know, mm. we always say, you know, the pain of, you know, staying the same when that gets bigger than the pain of change, you know, um, 
But a lot of times we don't even stop and ask the question. We are making assumptions that the pain of change is going to be horrible. We can't take it, but you can take it. And I know for me that when I'm going to make a change or when I'm going to do something or I'm facing a goal, I look at it like the Libra scale. And on one side, I put the why. Why am I doing this? What is the goal? What is the change? What is the plan? What is what is here that I want? And on the other side, I stack, you know, the pain of getting no's or it being hard. And, you know, when that why, when that, what did you refer to? You referred to it as, you know, your purpose. Um, it, it When it wins on that Libra scale, then you will go do it. And when you really, Mm -hmm. but we sometimes don't take the time to stack it up and even weigh it. We don't weigh the cost Mm -hmm. versus the win. And I know when I was growing my business and my children were small, sometimes that was hard, but I stacked up what I wanted for my family, what I wanted for my children, the life I wanted us to live. And when I looked at the pain of getting a no, or maybe having to go do something that I maybe didn't want to do in that very moment or face a fear, my kids, my family, the future I wanted one every time. And so I was able to go with that. So if we can stop in that a moment and assess the importance of our purpose, I think that keeps us grounded on moving towards that purpose. But some of us, like you say, don't even have our purpose identified. We're afraid mm-hmm. to attach to it because um, what if we don't and all these things. And y'all, here's what I want to leave us with. I'll let you guys speak to it as well. As midlife women, you know, what really got my attention was when I turned 50, because it doesn't matter how you do the math. Once you hit 50, unless you've got a better plan than me, you're probably halfway done at, at least at a minimum. You may be well more. And if there are things we want to do and things we want to accomplish and and, and the person we want to be, we've always used language of one day, someday, sometime. We're running out of time, ladies. It's time to be who you're going to be. It's time to be who you want to be. It's time to do the things you want to do to overcome the things you want to overcome. Time is running out. It's not infinite. And I always say things like, I want to do that before, while I can still enjoy it. Like, I don't want to take dancing lessons once I'm on a walker. I want to take it now, you know, when I can enjoy it. And I think we really have to get that sense of urgency as midlife women that now or never. I mean, honestly, so I'll get Christina. What do you want to say there? Christina went to sleep. You know, no, no, I was just listening to to you and you know what really stood out to me was that you said we're we're halfway there or we're more than halfway there and you know we built midlife moxie Gail built it because she says that women need to go back to their little girl dreams mm-hmm. and and my my passion was because I want it to be intergenerational so both of those thought ideas are what moves midlife moxie. And I have to say this, that when we can work on ourselves today, now, in the present, we can show up better for the future. Mm-hmm. And and I think that the younger, you know, whether you're 18, because once you're 18, you're an adult, you know, and in some countries at 16, you're an adult, you can start taking personal responsibility for your life. And you can dive into books like the one that you have created. You can lean into 
the women at your church or different organizations that have the white hair with a lot of splendor and wisdom, you know, Mm -hmm. you get to do that. You can no longer be the victim and you get to be the change agent of your life. And I just really think, yeah, yeah. It's just like you get to decide. And so, I, I mean, I'm grateful today that I've decided to make a lot of changes in my life. You know, at 30 is when the changes started to happen. Mm-hmm. But for but for me, Gail, I don't know about you, but I'm like, get in on this when you're 16, 17, 18, yeah. you know, like... Let's start doing the work now. I think it should and, be required. And, I think it should be part of our education, yes. part of our, especially our college yes. years when we're trying to navigate, oh. you know, what job we're going to do the rest of our lives. But I just, you really made me think of something think else that change, change is action. It's not something mm-hmm. that just happens to us. It's something we do. It's something we have to seek yes. out. It's something we have to be conscious about we've used conscious and subconscious a lot today but it's a choice you have to make a choice to change Mm -hmm. you ladies stop sitting there waiting for something to change don't wait for your husband to change don't wait for your kids to change don't wait for something in your life to just change you are change change is a verb so I love the things you've given us today, Sylvia, of ways to interrupt the errant thoughts, ways to be actionable. And oh my gosh, if you guys aren't running to order the book on Amazon, Sylvia. <laughs> well, you know what? I'll tell you what, if you have them email me directly, that's even better because I'll autograph it for them and they'll have an autographed copy Ooh. from me and um, I can send you a square invoice instead of sending them to Amazon. Okay, go ahead and you tell know, me the and email. that might be worth. Sure, it's Sylvia. And I'm going to leave it in the chat, girl, because I think that might be easier for you. <laughs> but it's Sylvia. Well, we're going to put at, it in the show notes, but go ahead and say it for the ones wanting to. So Sylvia at. So it's Sylvia at S-V-I-L-L-A-L-O-B-O-S, Worsham, all together dot com that's my maiden last name the lobos that's why when people see my email they're like she's hispanic she's gotta be hispanic and it was it v is in victor or b is in boy no uh well there's v is in victor at the beginning and b is in boy in the middle so it's it's okay yeah let me say it for the southerners sylvia at S V I L L A L O B is in boy O S W O R S H A M dot com. Sylvia at S Villa Lobos Worship dot com. But we'll put in the show notes. I can't even say it today, but that'll get you an autograph copy, y'all. How awesome. Well, and and really quickly, it's not Sylvia S I L, it's S Y L. So Who spells because you're uh, a lot of Mexican women spell yeah. it as I L. So yes, a lot of Mexican women do, but I have that unique <laughs> spelling. So thank you, Christina, for that. And I'd rather because yes. it's, it's an autograph copy. And if it becomes famous, you know what? You have your autograph copy. <laughs> there we go. I love it. Me, oh my gosh. Me, I love it. it. When. Autographed yeah. copy. Yeah. I can't wait. 
for our readers to get this in their hands, because I do think it's something that women struggle with change. They struggle with fear. They're, they're afraid for themselves. They're afraid of what everyone else will think. And y'all, all three of us are living proof that it's change is not deadly. Mm-hmm. And you know, if the people around you can't take the change into the person you're meant to be, they're not the people that need to be around you. So keep that in mind. Yeah. Gosh, Sylvia, what a great, uh, we're over again, Christina. We're never going to. Well, it happens. We're trying to hire a new editor. We're like, we, we're really not an hour, Christina. We're lying to ourselves. We're never an hour. So uh, we're, we're trying to do better. But Sylvia, thank you for your time and such incredibly value in, valuable insights. We're going to have to have you back. We look forward to doing Definitely. some clubhouse rooms with you, girl. Please send me a message when you're available. I've got ideas. And I just hope that this moves someone in our audience today to make the change that they know. And we know, don't we, Sylvia? We feel it. Oh, we know. Yeah. <laughs> you know. You know. Quit running from it. Embrace it, girl. Go be your best self. And Christina, what do we always say? Until next time, go and get your moxie on. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.